Faced with an uncertain future, many business owners and technology professionals don't have the time needed to invest in their business technology strategies. And as a result, they're afraid of their technology getting outdated and putting their company and customers' information at risk. The digital future is already here, but with all different choices in the marketplace, it's difficult to know which one will be the best fit for you and your strategic vision. Imagine having the peace of mind that your business is backed by the right technology investments that are tailored for your specific needs. Hi, I'm Brian Nichols, and I've helped countless business owners and technology professionals just like you, helping you make informed decisions about what technologies are best to invest in for your business. Voice, bandwidth, cybersecurity, business continuity, juggling all the aspects of business technology is messy. Let me help. Head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash help and sign up for a free one-on-one -on -one consultation with yours truly to dig deep into where you see your company heading and how we can align your business technology towards those goals. Again, that's briannicholsshow.com forward slash help to get your simplified business technology started today. Victor Antonio, welcome to the program. Selling is all about really, it's, we're not selling a product, you're not selling a service, you're not selling value, you're not selling whatever you think you're selling, a solution. You're selling change. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. As a sales and marketing executive in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity industry, Brian works with C-level executives to help them future-proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. And in each episode, Brian takes that experience and applies it to the Liberty Movement. And this is why we talk about being the trusted advisor. You should be able to help use that expert guidance and all the opinions that I'm sure that you have and help lead them towards not just a decision, but the right decision. Instead of focusing on simply winning arguments or being right, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and their application in the world of politics, showing you how to ask better questions, tell better stories, and ultimately change people's minds. And now, your host, Brian Nichols. What is up, everybody? Welcome in to the Liberty Lounge. I am your host tonight, Jeremy Todd, and I am so glad to have you here with us talking some Liberty stuff. Uh, man, it's been a crazy week, and I am extremely excited to bring in tonight's guest. Um, Eric is uh, not only, a, a, as I know him, a great salesperson, a great leader, and that's how we met. Uh, but he has made the transition into working with firearms and firearm safety training. And we're going to hear all about that. But the biggest line on Eric's resume is that uh, he will tell you that I am 100% responsible for keeping him alive in the streets of Prague one night. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, welcome the amazing Eric Ward to the, to the lounge. How are you, brother? Mr. Todd, thank you for having me. <clears throat> Absolutely. So glad to have you here, my man. And uh, we, boy, uh, it's been an interesting week. Uh, been a lot of talk about guns and self-defense and uh, a few trials going on. But before we dive into talking shop, tell me and, and the listeners out there a little bit about who you are, your background, and what it is you do. Yeah, absolutely. So with Ford Defense Farms and Training, uh, we're all about helping people protect every day. And so we feel that all gun laws are an infringement. Uh, but uh, with that being said, there are certain laws and regulations and things you have to know how to do. Um, and then most importantly, just for the idea of 
being responsible and, uh, you know, responsible for your own safety and protection of your own family, uh, learning how to protect them from harm uh, is an essential skill set. And uh, it's just the way that it is. Many times the most efficient and uh, most effective way to protect your family is uh, learning how to use uh, responsibly a firearm. And so what we do is we train students uh, on that. Uh, we've been around as a uh, legitimate business uh, incorporated since uh, I'd say about 2014 or so. It started as a hobby um, whenever yeah. you know we were, I was running multiple businesses. <clears throat> and so we started going to the range quite a bit and my friends and they were like, hey, you should, you should teach people how to do this. And so yeah. the business kind of took off from there. We've trained over 10,000 students in person and uh, we have an online presence and um, you know effective literature people can use online as well as uh, some really great products. So you know, that's Ford Defense in a nutshell. Yeah, that that's phenomenal, man. And, and you answered kind of my first question, which was like, how did we get into it? All right, so let's do the nuts and bolts. You ready to talk some shop? Let's do it. Let's talk. Yes. All right, the great gun debate. This is something that us libertarians come across all the time. And I, I think it boils down to a couple things. But foundationally, it it always becomes a conversation about rights. So how is it that you, when you are having these conversations about all gun laws or infringements with somebody who maybe believes that you don't necessarily have a right to, to carry a gun uh, to defend yourself, how do you really break down the differences in rights and, and how that looks? That's a great question, Jeremy. Uh, you know, it, it really depends on the audience and the person. And most importantly, uh, a person's individual experiences. I find that a person's individual experiences more often than not shape their entire uh, you know, context of how they see and perceive these things. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I feel like you've just got a handful of a few different types of people. Um, you've got people who have never had to worry legitimately about their safety or the safety of their loved ones. You have people who always have to worry about their safety and the safety of their loved ones. And then most importantly, I think for what we're discussing uh, this evening on the show, the people who are in transition that have experienced both sides of that type of um, situation where at one point they did not have to worry about those types of um, things. And then something happened in their lives. They had some experience. And then all of a sudden their misconceptions and preconceived notions were shattered and the grand illusion was removed that, hey, look, at the end of the day, ultimately, my safety and the safety of my family is my personal responsibility. And I need to have the proper tools to be able to do that. Do you, do you find that those going through that transitional phase are hesitant to accept that personal responsibility? Because, I mean, don't we pay for police? Don't we pay for big, scary men with guns to protect us? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess in a certain in a certain sense, we do. And, uh, you know, I think until someone has to attempt to utilize those things, the reality of how a situation like that transpires, how quickly it transpires, um, those things aren't really a reality. And we, we have a we have a saying in, in a lot of our teachings, you know, it's hard to imagine hypothetical scenarios until you personally experience them, right? Mm. You know, if someone is banging on your door attempting to break into your home and kill your family and take all your stuff, you know, 
you don't really have the patience to wait 10 minutes for a trooper. You know, it's how quickly can those things happen? And I think that's something that a lot of people who've never had to worry about those things living in their bubble of, of, of safety mm. and, and many times uh, bubble of wealth, they, you know, those are things that they've never had to experience or haven't occurred. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, I think that's, what's really interesting about those who are opposed to gun rights is that they never really consider the fact that, well, they are typically the people who say, well, let, let's look at, uh, you know, maybe underserved neighborhoods or uh, neighborhoods of different ethnic backgrounds and things like that, or uh, areas where there may be more crime, they're actually advocating for sending police into these areas after the fact to defend people that they believe the police are racist against it. There's a lot of counter logic uh, that goes on there. And it's because they've never had to be the person depending on a police officer in their life. That's a really interesting perspective. So let's say we're having conversations with those who, because one of the keys to sales, right, is you have to establish the need and the problem uh, initially. Let's say it's somebody that we're talking to who is maybe out there fighting for uh, restricting our, our, our right to bear arms. And they say uh, they come from that more of a uh, never had to worry about it. They've lived in that bubble of safety and wealth. How do we help frame the problem for them and what are some of your favorite anecdotes or stories to tell that that really kind of open their eyes yeah sure there's a lot of different ways that you know you can approach this and when we really get into the the nitty-gritty of it some of the things that i like to think about are you know from the perspective of these individuals trying to restrict our rights it's hard, but I like to at least give them the benefit of the doubt that they are mm-hmm. wanting to do something for the safety and security of their community. And there is this noble, uh, grand ambition that maybe, just maybe, they have the power and ultimately the control to uh, manage a system from the top down and create this utopia where everyone is safe <clears throat> and dependent on others. And, uh, you know, I think on paper maybe that looks good and uh it's 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 it it can be argued that that's a noble cause and uh you know that's kind of what we're up against uh but in reality when we look at how gun laws play out uh the restriction of our uh rights i was reading a uh, a report not too long ago on bearing arms about how this has all fallen apart in uh in maryland how despite the most draconian of gun laws they have and their incessant desire for this level of security and protection that things just keep getting worse and so bad guys don't they they don't they don't buy guns legally you know they use the black market and no no number of laws we create are going to make all of the black market guns disappear uh so uh but i do want to get back to your question and your question was you know how do we how do we approach those who say hey look you know the state the, the the state will take care of you right and the jedi mind yeah. trick of it the state mm. well how well how well is that working out yeah how well is that working out just you know just from a logical rational perception based person right now like how well is the state managing our healthcare how well are they managing our money how well mm. are they managing our supply chains you know there is this overabundance of overwhelming evidence that suggests 
that's not how it works, you know? Right. And um, at the end of the day, it's a <clears throat> personal responsibility uh, argument, really. And uh, that, you know, that's my opinion. Uh, are you going to outsource your responsibilities to someone else? Or are you going to take care of it? And I don't have all of the answers, Jeremy, because I think that there are a certain number of people that will never take personal responsibility sure. for their actions. 1080 right? It's like, it's like, how do we, how do we address that? You know, their, their only, <laughs> their only solution is going to be hoping that there are good people like you and I who are willing yeah. to protect them if the state drops the ball. Yeah. hundred percent. And you know, it reminds me of this, uh, back in the, uh, it was actually the 2016 election. It was one of the good things Gary Johnson actually did. He was approached by a woman at a town hall, and uh, they she was like, they were talking about legalizing drugs. I find there's a lot of parallels just on opposite sides of the aisle when it comes to legalizing drugs and legalizing guns. And it really comes down to what you said, personal responsibility. And Gary, the, the lady said, my daughter died of a heroin overdose. <clears throat> Um, how can you tell me that you want to legalize that? And Gary actually went into like, hey, black markets are what caused this problem, yada, yada. But the fact of the matter is, is, is he should have said, hey, lady, your daughter died and heroin was already as illegal as you can make it. <laughs> People, and that is the thing that we all have to come to grips with is that making something illegal doesn't prevent it from happening. It doesn't make it, it, it might, add a layer of difficulty but people who have bad intentions are willing to go around those the, the, those loops right um i think that makes a ton of sense so there will absolutely be people who are never going to take that sort of responsibility for themselves but they look at <clears throat> i'll give you a great example my wife uh when we first started dating was like we have to do something i can't see any more school shootings i can't see uh any more sandy hooks or this or that right and not to downplay those tragedies but how how do you respond to those situations where a bad guy with a gun does some bad things oh uh, well that's that's actually quite easy when those bad things happen, how do we stop them? There's only two outcomes. The police yeah. either stop by force with the use of firearms, this bad guy from doing these bad things, or it's, uh, it's suicide by cop or suicide for the attacker. And so yeah. I think it's important for individuals to take that thought process and go, well, how many lives can we save if there are willing volunteers on staff and the administration who want to learn how to use these weapons safely, efficiently, and effectively to protect others and uh, mm -hmm. want to carry firearms to do those types of things. Um, I can't help but mention, you know, there's places in the United <clears throat> States, and I don't want to get my states wrong, but I believe Utah is one of the examples where teachers carry concealed on campus mm -hmm. and we don't mm -hmm. have shootings there. Um, you know, in Israel, all of the teachers carry firearms uh, i believe don't, don't quote me on that but there are okay. you know this is one of those places that security is of utmost importance and there are procedures and there are things that can be done to mitigate these but i think that it takes a lot of responsibility to step up and go you know <clears throat> forward and say hey look these are things that are happening we've got the tools and mechanisms in place but let's move those tools and mechanisms to a preemptive position instead of being reactionary and waiting for these things to happen and then responding after the loss of innocent life right 
Yeah, and <clears throat> there's there's this idea, I think, amongst people that we believe we can we we can regulate our way into prevention. If that makes sense. Um, and that's not how prevention works. <laughs> you know, prevention is what you're talking about. That sort of question before the shooter steps into the school that goes, Am I the only one here with a weapon? Do I know that as a fact? What what are some statistics and stuff that you talk about with gun free zones and how that basically creates a bunch of sitting ducks? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, a really uncomfortable thing that a lot of good guys should get more comfortable with is attempting to think like a bad guy. And it's mm. uh, it, it's an interesting it's an interesting thought process. Learning to think like a bad guy doesn't make you a bad guy, but what it does right. is it gives you a window of insight into their motivations and the mechanisms, right? So like an example of thinking like a bad guy, right? If I break a law, what are the consequences, right? Mm. And then work, walking through the consequences and going, okay, is the juice worth the squeeze? What's going to happen, right. right? What's the chances and probability of these things happening? And when a bad guy looks at a gun-free zone, what they're doing is they're making the calculated assessment that good people, law-abiding citizens, good people, are going to abide by those laws and so there is a much greater probability that, that this is a soft target and there aren't going to be people there that can stop them. And if there are, there might be two or three at the whole school, right? And the bad right. guy's going to know that in advance and they're going to most likely work to eliminate them first or avoid them and try to do the most damage they possibly can. When you look at a mm -hmm. history of these mass shooters, let's just say, for example, if we're going to talk in context of school zones, let's talk about a mass shooter, right? we're, we're going to have to look at the idea of what they're thinking as a bad guy is they want to inflict the most damage possible. They want notoriety. They want high body count, right? So they're looking for the softest targets. And, you know, I'll come out and say it. I really think that if there was a national federal push to eliminate these gun-free zones, we could drastically prevent, eliminate, or at, 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 at minimum reduce the likelihood of a, of a, of a mass shooting on a school campus. Yeah, because you never know uh, when it comes down to it, and I, I, I think that sort of hesitation um, it really puts some doubt into the person's mind. But okay, so let let's say we're talking more to individuals who are in that transition. Uh, do you, did you ever teach the ten eighty ten back in the day in your Cutco training? Yeah, sure. The 10% always buy, 10% never buy, 80%. I, I find that happens a lot in the way that we approach prospects when it comes to selling them ideas of liberty. In that 10% of people, we're, we're probably never going to convince them that guns can, can actually be a positive thing and make them safer. 10%, uh, they, they're like us. They, they want to legalize nukes. Uh, it's the 80% in the middle. And so I, I was hoping to talk to them a little bit um, with this. Yeah. Where where do rights begin and end, and how do you define them uh, when it comes to being able to carry a weapon? Can't you defend yourself with just a 9 millimeter pistol? Why do you need uh, a big AR-15, they may say? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we encounter that quite frequently. And um, the, the, the basic concept here... Well, I have two points. The first, the first point I want to address is those people are in, that are in transition that are like, hey... You know, do I want to do this? Is this is scary? Uh, I am not sure about guns and self protection, and uh, I want to talk to those people first because mm -hmm. there's a lot that can be learned very quickly and easily 
with how to better protect yourself. The people who I say uh, are the most gun shy, right, are the ones <laughs> who just have limited experience. They've never right. gone out and experienced it. And, and there's a reason for that. They don't want to go into the gun store and talk to Bubba in the cutoff flannel shirt that's been <laughs> shooting a gun since yeah. he was a toddler, right? Because Bubba's going to look right. at him, size him up as a city boy, and make fun of him. And you know what? In our yeah. industry, that's wrong. That should not occur. And we need more. We, right. need, we need to get rid of the bubbas, and we need to create a more inviting, conducive environment to help these people learn. And the for what it's worth, the pandemic and some of the social unrest we've experienced the last eighteen to twenty months has helped with that a great degree. There's a lot yeah. of new shooters that are coming in and learning, but it, it takes just an ounce of prevention to create the level of confidence when you start to feel better. Now. I'm not sure what the demographics of your audience are, Jeremy, in terms of <laughs> age groups, but I think most people sure. watching this can probably remember the first time they learned to drive, right? Yeah. And we can do the 80-10-10 with dr learning to drive. It's the same exact right. concept, right? There's probably 10% of the people that had really engaged intentional parents that taught them how to operate a motor vehicle from an age far be before it was legally uh, possible to do so. And that was a skill set they took the time to develop. There's probably right. another 10% of people that didn't know how to do anything mm -hmm. at all until they went into driver's ed. Driver's and they ed, were yeah. just scared out of their mind to get behind the wheel of a vehicle because it was all foreign. They had no idea what they were doing and it scared the crap out of them. But then you have 80% of the people that they go through the process, they learn in driver's ed, they practice, they go out and they do their practice driving and they get good, they get proficient and they drive mm -hmm. well enough to pass the state mandated tests where they now can go out and drive a vehicle. And with firearms training, to a certain degree, it's very similar, you know? And so right. learning learning how to do those things, that's, that's the first step, you know, reaching out to businesses like us. We have an online firearm safety uh, training. You know, it's um, there's plenty of great material on YouTube and uh, plenty of great instructors and plenty of great local ranges where you can go and learn these types of things. So but the, the resources are out there uh, for people who want to. <clears throat> Absolutely. So uh, do you find that getting people more comfortable with an AR-15 or an assault weapon, right, helps them become comfortable to a point where they go, yeah, it makes sense. I need this. This is something that people should be allowed to have. So, so I'm glad you brought that up. Let's go back to the, to the original point you were making right here when sure. someone says that, the you know, the stereotypical, why does somebody need an AR 15? Why does somebody right. need uh, an absurd amount of firepower? And so right. there's, there's two <clears throat> important points to make here. First of all, anyone who's shot an AR 15 before knows it is 1000% easier than shooting a nine millimeter pistol. Yeah. There's less recoil. There's yeah. a greater degree of control over the weapon because of the points of contact on the weapon. Uh, you're, you're mm -hmm. able to be more accurate and you're able to do things in a, in a much more efficient way. So, mm -hmm. but to circle back to the idea of why does somebody need an AR 15 explain to the five foot tall, hundred pound female who is being accosted by three, six foot five, 350 pound men, why she doesn't need that AR-15. Yeah, that's a great point. Explain to that 75 year old who has five gangbangers breaking into their house, why mm -hmm. they don't need that AR-15. Because what it is, it is, a, <clears throat> it is a force multiplier, and most importantly, it is an equalizer. 
right? So yeah. it's one thing for people to say, oh, well, you know, you don't need more than this pistol or this bolt action or this butter knife. But those are yeah. people who don't understand disparity of force. There's people, those yeah. people don't understand big armies beat small armies, right? Yeah. So when we start getting into the weeds, it becomes very apparent that all sides are going to work to maximize their ability to pretend to protect themselves. And the bad guys, they're looking to do a lot more than that. That's absolutely correct. Uh, one of my favorite stories, I think this came out after Sandy Hook, is they wanted, no, not Sandy Hook, the one in Florida, Parkland. Uh, they wanted to like reduce the age or increase the age at which someone could buy a gun. And I used a very similar disparity of force story to help illustrate that that's kind of silly. Uh, I think they wanted to raise it to 21. And I said, okay, great. Well, you you live in a nice neighborhood. You know, I talked about how they don't have to deal with that problem. But I go, imagine a 19-year-old single mother who lives on her own. And she now can't buy a firearm to protect her and her child uh, on the way home from the grocery store in a neighborhood that she can afford. Because she didn't grow up with, you know, certain privileges like you do. You'd be denying. So your law would cause her to die. So... I, I think a lot of times they try to use utilitarian arguments, which is, well, fewer people will die if we ban X, Y, Z. But you're also adding deaths that would not have occurred, which never get reported, right? Um, do you know anything about the details of unreported sort of where guns, uh, where people defended themselves with guns and saved their lives? You know, that that's an interesting uh, question. <clears throat> Uh, my friends uh, over at concealedcarry.com, uh, Jacob Paulson is the owner over there. He did mm. a series of articles where he talked about how it's almost impossible for us to tease out data on things like home invasion uh, because yeah. a lot of times these things aren't even reported to the national yeah. uh, the national databases for these types of things. And so, you know, we have data that reflect certain parts of this. But then there's there's stuff that we don't know that we don't know simply because there's no mechanism for it to get reported. And so we have to make we have to make inferences for what does or does not occur. But I would imagine, you know, if you take if you and this is speculation, but if you take how many are actually reported, I mean, there's probably uh, a factor of a 10 or more how many don't get reported. You know, you got to think about how serious something becomes to get to that point. When the vast majority of the time there's uh, you know there's a lot of hesitation, there's fear, there's uncertainty yeah. and doubt, a lot of that fud, right? That keeps these things mm-hmm. probably from ever being reported. Yeah, and and so therefore, when they when sort of our our counterparts who want to reduce guns or you know add infringements in laws, they bring up well in this place. Uh, gun deaths went down XYZ. They, they have these numbers and data, but what you don't see are the unspoken numbers because of incomplete data, data. And you could be just exchanging one life for another in that case. And I, I don't know about you, but if I, when it comes to the trolley car problem, I, I don't feel comfortable pulling the lever. I don't want to create an action that, kills one in order to save another because that gets down some dark roads one of the one of the ones is well what if you're a doctor and you have a healthy patient on your table and you kill him and harvest his organs to save seven people's lives was it worth it, it, it and, and, and in a purely utilitarian exchange sense you you go 
well, save seven, kill one makes, but you know in your heart that's immoral. And I feel like gun grabbers don't necessarily grasp the fact that you are causing deaths with every regulation because you're denying somebody the right to defend themselves that may have needed it. We just don't have that data in order to prove it. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, there's a lot that can be argued with manipulated data one way or the other. And so what I like to try to do for my clients and when we're talking to people is I like to try to keep it simple. And the way to keep it simple is to go from this macro perspective that's used for top-down policy and break it down to a micro level, make it just about you and go, do you want to be in a scenario where you lack the appropriate tools to protect your family when needed? right? Uh, Do you want to get in a vehicle and not put your seatbelt on just because you've never been in a wreck before, right? Right. It's like you put the seatbelt on before. You're not going to have the ability or the forward perception to put your seatbelt on when you perceive an accident's going to occur. You don't have that time, right? So when you are accosted, when someone is using violence against you and you feel that you're in a situation where it's reasonably necessary to avoid the imminent use of this deadly force against you with a reasonable response to defend yourself you don't want to be thinking about all the tools you don't have right you want something ready to go to protect yourselves and your loved ones and so when we take it down to a, a, a really personal and intimate level I find that it becomes easier for people to make a decision, right? It's one thing to say, well, how many lives are being lost because of these policies? And it's a lot easier to go, I don't want my son or daughter to get killed by a bad guy. I don't want to get uh, held up at gunpoint and get shot over uh, something. You know, I want to be able to protect myself. And, uh, you know, I, I find that that makes it a lot easier for people to grasp really the simplicity of what we're talking about, Jeremy. And, and really it is simple. You have a God given right to be here, to exist. Mm -hmm. It's your right to exist. Mm -hmm. And if anybody tries to take that from you by force, you have the God given right to protect yourself. It's just that simple, you know? And, uh, I thought a lot about this when we were coming on the show, cause I'm like, man, he's going to ask me all these questions and all these situations. <laughs> and as a firearms instructor, I'm just so far removed from the idea of outsourcing personal responsibility to anyone mm-hmm. besides myself. Thought a lot of those types of things are at this point quite foreign. Yeah, no. And it makes a lot of sense, but you touch on natural rights, right? Which are God given. And and so this is something that I find comes up a lot in the conversation is that, well, rights come from the government and the second amendment says this and the blah, blah and you have to, they, it says well-regulated and we'll get to that, but there exists something called natural rights. And that is the right to basically protect your life and protect your property. It's, it, it's the core of libertarian philosophy. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. If you violate those natural rights, we got a problem. And so those rights are endowed by our creator. Like you said, you have a right to exist and you have a right to protect your property. Those are those are natural rights. Then the Bill of Rights and our, our, our founders come along and they try as best they can to sort of put some more, you know, sort of meat to it in a document. And we come across the Second Amendment, which says uh, the need of a, of a well-regulated militia being necessary for a free state, the right of the people 
to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And a lot of people read that as militia and well-regulated, but they miss that it's militia is well-regulated. And then it goes the right of the people. And so one of the uncomfortable things that uh, libertarians are comfortable talking about, but I don't think the rest of society is, is, is comfortable talking about is that the way the second amendment reads is that the reason you should be able to keep an AR-15, and if you're a libertarian, a tank, an F-15, you know, a Hellfire missile, whatever, uh, is because the government has that. And the government has committed the largest, most unthinkable atrocities on people in the history of the world. The government is the well-regulated militia that the people writing the Constitution had just written. And they said, we will need a well-regulated militia, but we know what it's like to fight one, too. So the people should never be denied the right to have equal force to their government. And people will go, well, does that mean people can have nukes? And, and I go, no, it means the government probably shouldn't have nukes. <laughs> it, because at, at, at many points in history, the, if a government is given a weapon, they eventually turn it on their people. And the people need to be able to return fire. Um, what are your thoughts on the Second Amendment? Has it protected us? Does it go far enough? What does it what does it say about what we are allowed to do in defending ourselves? Yeah, sure. And uh, you know, I'll premise this with I'm not a historian. I'm not <laughs> a uh a professor on all things constitution. Uh but there are some basics here. First of all, as the largest, most powerful, best funded, most advanced military in the world, we couldn't effectively eliminate people in caves <laughs> go in, farmers in, with in, ar-15 in, in middle yeah. eastern countries in the 70s uh yeah. individuals in holes in the ground with sharpened bamboo sticks got the best yep. of us so yep. anybody who believes the excuse my language the bullshit that yeah that the government uh is effective with these things are, have the have have their finger on the pulse of responsible usage, or that they you know even know what they're doing with those types of things, or that they can never be uh, effectively um, how do I phrase this um, restrained uh, mm. with the <clears throat> tools we have available versus their right. tools. They're they're living they're living in a uh, version of reality that does not exist. Um, so that Correct. that would be my first point. My second point would be that a cursory glance of history, uh, American history specifically, uh, a cursory glance of history will quickly uh, show people that in the American Revolution, we fought with the equivalent of the British military's weaponry. Yeah. We had battleships. Yeah. We had tanks. We had all the same weapons. So the mm -hmm. notion and idea that the government should somehow have superior weaponry or that we should trust them with that, uh, it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's false. It's, 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 it's categorically false. You know, we have, as technology has advanced and moved forward, we've allowed the erosion of some of these rights, and that's a bad thing. Um, yeah. But, you know, to to really instill a little bit of hope and confidence in anybody who is, you know, listening to this, just look no further than Afghanistan and, yeah. and realize 
you're going to be okay. You know, this is something that if let's just say a situation arises where individuals feel compelled to Mm -hmm. uh, resist tyranny, that um, there will be a copious number of ways to, to to do that, even with mechanisms we have in place. And you know what, quite frankly, Jeremy, maybe that's why they're working so hard to restrict our rights even more. it, it is it is the only I, I continue to play it out in my head and I go, look, why? Why? They're, it's not getting them elected. It never seems to rise to the top of things that become political issues, economic right. issues, social issues. All of those things seem and there will be moments where they will try to seize the opportunity. But the people are not clamoring for, you know, changes in gun laws and restrictions and, and things like that. So why? does the government continue to push for it and i try to it, it, there's it, it all leads back to that one road eric and uh and that is exactly why we should have ar-15s um because with ak-47s and toyota tacomas you know the taliban not good guys i don't think highly of them i don't think they're great people but you know what we couldn't crush them we 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 sat on them for 20 years and we weren't able to do it and we outnumber the Taliban as citizens that are armed in the tens of millions, at least, if not significantly more. So you're absolutely right. You said all the good things uh, that I love. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what's been happening this week with that right to self-defense. Um, just overall thoughts on the Rittenhouse case, the trial, and the things going on with it. Um and, and do you see it as a pivotal decision uh, that's going to kind of echo in, in, in our near future? Uh, well, <clears throat> this is, of course, just my opinion. I'm not a lawyer. And uh, I can tell you that those who train individuals with firearms on a daily basis and uh, have an intimate understanding of self-defense law and the use of force and legal use of deadly force – um, have known pretty much at onset that this was self-defense. Now, mm-hmm. this is uh, – let me premise that with saying there's a lot of angles here, right? And I don't want to go through the play-by-play commentary of everything that happened. But I think right. that – We've all seen uh, the video. I, I think that anybody can agree that if we're ultimately trying to protect ourselves and our lives, we would not want to be in the middle of a riot, we would not want to be in a position where we are inviting the use of harm against us. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and that's, that's something I think that there are are a certain number of valid points with, you know, uh, and everybody really gives uh, this individual in question. We're talking about a hard time about potentially using lethal force against people to protect property. And that's, that's kind of like the, the lightning rod in all of this, right? Yeah. Because it, uh, immediately, you know, you can jump to the conclusion, okay, well, people are more important than property. It's like, it's not even a hard question. Absolutely. You, you know, you don't, you don't really equate the two, you know, but right. I, I do want to just give a little bit of context here. I am in Texas. I'm based in Texas mm-hmm. and I want to share an interesting Texas law with your audience. You see here it. in Texas, we have a provision in our laws that allow for the use of force and deadly force to protect property. Right. Okay. That's allowed in Texas. And before anybody jumps to conclusions, I want to give a little bit of 
historical context for why this type of thing mattered in Texas. Well, let's say, uh, let's go back a few hundred years and you're, uh, you're, you know, you're, you're a cattle rancher and you've got right. 100, 150 head of cattle, okay? And you've got your family and you've got your ranch and this is what you do. You, you raise cattle, okay? One night, someone comes to your ranch and they don't accost you, they don't bother you or your family, but they go out into your fields and they steal all of your cattle, okay? Mm-hmm. You wake up the next morning and all of your cattle are gone. And the first thing people want to say is, well, that's just, you know, that's that's just animals, that's just property. There was no harm right. there. But there really is an extreme amount of harm there because now the farmer cannot feed his family. What those right. criminals have come and done is they've they've literally killed the farmer's family. It yeah. just took a little bit longer than <laughs> shooting them in person. And so you have a scenario where the destruction of property many times can create this onslaught of of avalanche and cascading harm that creates an economic scenario where you really are killing people. And so so some historical context there. That's why in Texas, this is still a law in the books, you know, Um, just so just so I'm clear. We never advocate for the use of deadly force to protect property. That's not, that's never something we want to have right. to do or find ourselves in that scenario. But there is historical precedence, and it's on the books as law. And, and quite frankly, the, it's still a law because somebody somewhere considers that law useful. Yeah, and, and I, I think avoidance, especially if you value your own life, is sort of step one in safety sure. training is avoid all situations where this might happen. But when it comes to property being less valuable than than life, I, th- I think you get in some tricky area here because in reality, almost all of us have exchanged our life for that property, right? That that That's what going to work and providing late, we exchange time, energy, our bodies, all of these things, in and in, in return, we get paid money, and then we use that money for that property. So it's almost a direct. There's there's some currency involved, but in reality, that property is an exchange for the life that we surrendered in order to to get it. So to harm somebody's property is is akin to potentially killing somebody. I and I I think that's an incredibly important point to take. Obviously, you want to avoid it. I, you know. I don't know if it was the smartest thing for him to be here, be there. If I were his parents or his, you know, uh, his guidance person, I would have been like, dude, just like, don't go. Um, this isn't worth it for you, but he absolutely had a right to be there. And I think one of the things that the world needs to take a look at in the Kyle Rittenhouse is that there are no bystanders hurt. You know, he dude didn't miss like he he had his discipline down. Um, he only fired when attacked, and he like a kid for a kid to pull that off in a situation like that. I found that kind of impressive because there was no collateral, you know, damage. Uh, he he only shot and harmed those who were intending or attempting to kill him. So, I mean, you got to give him a you got to give him some credit on his training there, right? Yeah, and I think that uh, something that needs to be said here is that, you know, if you look at this uh, objectively, uh, he wasn't there to riot. He wasn't there to destroy property. He wasn't there to harm others. He was there to provide medical support 
and he was there to uh, offer to a certain degree uh, some mm-hmm. protection. And I think the situation kind of spiraled out of control. And uh, uh, only time will tell what occurs. Um, but I think history will reflect on this as um, he did the best he could in a challenging situation he found himself in. Uh, look, Jeremy, there's this push right now in America because of the vast disparity between the haves and the have-nots. I saw a report mm-hmm. that the majority of the wealth in America now is owned by the 1%. The 1% of America owns more wealth now than the middle class. And if you study yeah. history, you can see that anytime there is this disparity of wealth, uh, chaos and uh, bad things are sure to follow in an attempt to redistribute that wealth to a certain degree Absolutely. by certain means. Okay, So there is mm-hmm. a giant push right now unseen working behind the scenes in america to redistribute that and there's a word for that socialism uh that's mm-hmm. the fat free the, frat, the fat free word the the the, the, the full version of that the full version communism yeah right yep and uh so they don't the ones who are in charge of this agenda they don't want you to move in the direction of personal responsibility or personal right. growth or personal protection. They want you to start to backpedal into the acceptance that the state will do those things. So yeah. our individual we're talking about here, uh, he's he's being made an example because there's this push to make sure no one is emboldened to yeah. uh, maybe think for themselves and do things a certain way versus the direction that maybe things are being pushed. That makes a ton of sense. If you if you view everything through that lens, <clears throat> things start to add up a little bit. And as, as Chomsky, a known communist, uh, wrote in his book, uh, Manufacturing Consent, it is a relationship between the powers that be, the media, the boogeymen, that they all, this is all kind of carefully constructed for our perception. And, and it really does lead to more state dependence. And I think one of the ways that you can remain independent prevent a New Zealand and an Australia from happening here uh, is to train yourself, arm yourself, and, and and be ready to defend and protect your family when the time comes. Now, um, a let, let's talk about being uh, sort of smart with it. Uh, being, being from Texas, let's talk about Waco a little bit. Uh, there's a subset of libertarians who believe in almost a separationist idea, uh, sort of like Waco. And they believe that uh, as long as we arm ourselves well, we have, you know, we, we make religion the focus, we, uh, you know, we know how to be self-sustaining and grow our own stuff, that we can just remove ourselves from all of these situations that happen in the world. And we don't have to pay attention to politics and we don't have to be involved in winning hearts and minds of others in, uh, and I typically will point to Waco. How how important do you see being active in politics and, in you know, having public opinion sway policy and how much energy do you think it is worth to put into that? Or can you just say, Hey, me as an individual, we're going to go our own way. I think it's important to understand at a base level that there is no opting out of the game. The game goes on. The show must go on whether you like it or not. So it is far better to learn the rules of the game and how to play the game 
uh, to your advantage rather than opting out. Because opting out, what you're doing is you're not actually creating any counter pressure. You're not creating a counterbalance towards the impending disaster and erosion of all that you value. Um, what you're doing is you're just you're you're just doing nothing. And and I think yeah. that I, I think that while that is appealing because there's this idea that maybe we can just ignore and pretend and do our own thing. The system is currently set up where that's not feasible. They will find a way to get into whatever you're doing, whether it's uh, taking your property or raising your tax rates and making them unsustainably, uh, you know, something you can't sustainably pay for or uh, restricting you in, in other ways. Uh, you know, blockades, you know, they work. Um, and, yeah. and so there's only so far that line of thinking can take you. Now, if the system starts to break down and the powers that be are um, emaciated and they're unable to wield the power and force that they currently do, well, you know, self-sustainability and opting out may become an option. But we're not there yet, Jeremy. And yeah. I think that yeah. people need to understand that if you don't fight for what you and not like physically fight, we're not talking right. about physically fighting. We're talking about with your hearts and minds and your votes and your actions and your um, ways that you do things to protect and preserve your way of life and your rights. Um, those are the things that are going to go a lot further right now um, than opting out. And, uh, you know, yeah. the, the powers that be, uh, they're playing this game and you know a lot of times what they'll do is they'll they'll tip their hand i think we're seeing yeah. right now with some 100%. of the with some of the draconian measures they're attempting right now there's already a large subset of let's say their followers that you yeah. know they're not they're not liking these things you know stop messing with people's kids you know you mess with yeah. someone's kids they turn on you real quick and we mm -hmm. just saw that in new jersey we just yep. saw that in um you know other virginia. places recently what virginia and this mm -hmm. is this is uh you know when you get a little bit too much hubris you know sometimes things can tip back in the other direction for you yeah yeah little little swings right but eventually it, and it's it I, i'll go back to one of my favorite quotes and then we'll get into final thoughts but it, it's sort of like well how did a revolution take place uh gradually then all at once uh it, we we are they are gradually pressing, but so are we. And I think all at once it can it can come crumbling down. So that makes a lot of sense. Well, I have really loved this. Let's get into final thought. All right, Eric, tell the good people where they can find you, follow you, learn about what you're doing, and I will share some of the websites as you talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, forwarddefense.com uh, is our um, our website. That's where all of our training and stuff is featured uh, for uh, legal, law-abiding firearms purchases and people who are interested in finding out more about those types of items and accessories. Houston Guns Online is where all of our inventory is. Uh, for anybody new to the purchase of firearms online, uh, firearms can be purchased online, but they have to go to a dealer. So it's not like mail order machine guns, right? You can't get through that. So right. um, we do have two things that, uh, Jeremy, you may be able to drop uh, links in to the show notes. Uh, we have Absolutely. a free, uh, we have a free uh, gun law guide 
and uh, we also have some um, space age lubricants. So uh, the, the gun lube I, you've got there, um, we have the most advanced nanotechnology possible uh, in our firearms lubricant. Uh, it's called graphene, it's two dimensional carbon, and it creates what's called super lubricity. And so this is a relatively new thing to the market. It's got some of the lowest ASTM testing data for, um, for, for, for ball bearing wear without going into mm -hmm. too much detail. That just means it's super slick. And so yeah. um, individuals can grab this stuff and uh, make sure that their firearms always work when intended. And so that's uh, that's the biggest thing, uh, making sure your weapons work when they're needed. So uh, the other Absolutely. thing we have, and this is more of a you know more of a freebie, is our, our gun law guides. And so one of the challenges that I've dealt with students before is uh, they'll come into my class and they'll go, you know, I got to take this class because I got in trouble with the law. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, I did a Google search and uh, I, I you know I pulled up laws that were old and they had changed and I broke the law inadvertently because I did a Google search and I, I grabbed the, the wrong laws, right? So we have a ah, free gotcha. gun law guide. We have a free gun law guide where an individual um, can, can go to the link that you'll share with them and they can get a uh, eight and a half by 11 uh, document that'll show the top 28 gun laws for their particular uh, state. So yeah, so if you'll look at the homepage, there's a big green button at the top and oh, uh, this is free. Is. And so the, uh, the individuals, they can go and, and take a look and then grab uh, their top 28 handgun laws for their state. It's an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and it's real simple. So it's everything someone needs. They can throw it in the glove box. They can throw it in their backpack or their range bag. And uh, that's something they can have to reference the, the top 28 uh, gun law guides of their particular state. So um, so that's, that's a, a free offer. They just pay for shipping and then we'll ship it out to them. Absolutely. Well, I will drop those links in the show description and everything like that. Um, and this has just been a fascinating conversation. Eric, I want to thank you for coming on with us. And uh, thank you to everybody for tuning in. Uh, make sure you tune in next week. We're going to change our time. We're going to be up a little hour earlier, so 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Make sure you go to forwarddefense.com if you're in the Houston area. Get you some training. Get you some products and then buy uh, from HoustonGunsOnline.com uh, for all your firearm needs. Eric, I miss you, brother. It's been so good to spend some time with you, man. Absolutely, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, brother. Well, if you've enjoyed this, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, do all those things, and uh, make sure you share the content uh, as well. And here's my outro video. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at bnicholsliberty and consider donating to the show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Laura Stanley, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. 
trust the experts. We're all in this together. If it saves one life, raise your hand if you heard any of those tiresome phrases over the past year and a half. I know my hand is currently raised. Millions of people across dozens of industries were labeled unessential and forced to lock down with livelihoods and futures crushed in an instant. And as government has continued to expand its power and leverage fear to turn neighbor against neighbor, a group of filmmakers have taken a stand and are determined to help set the record straight on the importance of following the actual science of the pandemic. Follow the science on lockdowns and liberty from the Sound Mind Creative Group is a brand new docu-series highlighting the stories of those negatively impacted over the past year and a half by ineffective government policies enacted in the name of following the science. With noted experts like Nick Hudson from Panda, the Pandemic Data and Analytics Organization, healthcare policy advisors like Scott Atlas, and telling the stories of business owners, families, and just your average everyday person harmed by these government mandates. Follow the science on lockdowns and liberty is giving us a chance to make sure the true stories of the pandemic are told. So please help us at the Brian Nichols Show in supporting the Sound Mind Creative Group. With noted figures in the liberty movement like Dr. Tom Woods donating thousands of their own dollars to this project, you know just how important this project is. So head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science to donate and catch their brand new trailer to the docuseries one more time. That's briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science. And that was fun. Yeah.